With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of the space. Slopes a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder, it's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. A 69-yard touchdown. Donald escapes, trying to buy himself some time. Fires, end zone, it's caught. Incredible play by Donald. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. And it's the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's time for the Jets-Dolphins pregame report, and we're going to answer some mailbag questions as well. Later on, we'll get you some gambling tips courtesy of Walter Cherapinski of WalterFootball.com. But first, of course, we welcome in the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. So, Chris, let's start with Le'Veon Bell since you haven't had an opportunity to talk at length about this other than a couple of tweets and writing about it a little bit in your preview for this game between the Jets and the Dolphins. I know that this has been discussed on the podcast, but I wanted you to be able to voice your opinion on this. Your take, sir, on what went down with Le'Veon Bell. Uh, I'm going to start here. Congratulations, Le'Veon Bell. (laughs) I am happy for you. Uh, from what I have gathered on Jets Twitter, Jets Twitter is extremely happy for you. And uh, everyone is rooting for you to go ahead and win a Super Bowl this year. So let's start with that. Um, The the fact that Le'Veon Bell gets released after, like, what is his most efficient day as a Jet is hilarious. He he He's 4.6 yards a carry he got in that game. That's like, oh my god! Wait a second. He he's been like at like three point three yards a carry. He gets four point six yards a carry. Still only gets thirteen carries. Meanwhile, they're giving Trayvon Wesco a carry on third and one that gets stopped, and then they go to Frank Gore on the next fourth on fourth and one, and he gets stopped. But there's no problem with the play calling because you know everybody's going to dial up that Trayvon Wesco dive on third and one. That's a brilliant play call there. Um, the, the idea that he liked a couple of tweets that were critical of Gase 
and that that became a story is insanity to me. Uh, I'm not trying to take shots at any of the beat writers, but uh, he declined the interview with the Zoom over Zoom, which is the easiest way to piss off a beat writer. And that, and I've never understood it. It makes no sense to me. You can write around it not having the quote. You can write your story without having a quote from Le'Veon Bell. And then what these reporters always do is they take the, him declining the interview and then they build out four different stories about what an awful person this guy is for declining the interview. He does your work for you. Why are you getting mad about this? Um, <clears throat> and then uh, describing uh, him liking tweets as a Twitter tantrum. Like, this is absurd. He liked a couple of tweets. He was extremely frustrated. And now, again, we've talked about this numerous times. These players should not have Twitter that they can access. That sh- They shouldn't do it. They sh- it should not do it, at least during the season. Um, they should not do it. But if you're going to be frustrated – and then he goes to Twitter and he wants some affirmation because he's frustrated. So he sees these tweets. He feels it, it makes him feel a little bit better. He clicks that like button and he's not sitting there thinking, I'm going to like these critical tweets to Adam Gase and this is going to get back to Adam Gase. The fact that this is all because he liked some tweets and declined a one weeks of Zoom interviews is insanity to me. It's it's crazy. And, like, again, we got all this talk about how can't get rid of Adam Gase in the season. He's too important to uh, – what? He's driving players away. What, uh, what do you mean? Like, this is all absurd. But, again, I'm happy for Le'Veon Bell because he deserved better. This was just – it was a nightmare from the start – and it was because of Adam Gase that it's a nightmare. Adam Gase has, for a year and a half, Adam Gase has talked about all the different ways he's envisioned using Le'Veon Bell. How dangerous Le'Veon Bell could be as a receiver. He's talked about all this stuff. And then this season, this training camp, he talked about how I just didn't do a good enough job getting him the ball and designing stuff for him and how I'm excited to really open things up this year. And then guess what happens? It's the same thing. He doesn't do any of the stuff he said he's going to do. I don't, any criticism that anyone could have on Le'Veon Bell for what he did there can go easily right back at Adam Gase. Uh, Adam Gase talking about, oh, I just wish he would come to me. You don't talk to your players, my dude. You talk to like four players. How many different players do we need to hear getting released from the Jets or from the Dolphins to go back? And then they're like, oh, I never talked to him. He hasn't talked to me. Calicio Semele still hasn't heard from Adam Gase. Quincy Inunua still hasn't heard from Adam Gase. Kelvin Beecham is like, have I ever had a conversation with Adam Gase? All these people are like, what is going on here? The coach doesn't talk to us. So uh, you don't have to run to Twitter. Hey, coach, you go talk to your players yourself. How about that? How about you go find out what's going on in your players' heads? Why are you the only one that doesn't know that your players are frustrated with you? 
That's on you, my guy. That's not on them. The players shouldn't have to come talk to you all the time. This is your responsibility as a coach. Chris, I would like to add that I have also not been called by Adam Gason. I'm pretty frustrated with it, too, so I might start liking tweets as well. We'll see how this develops. Adam Gase, the ball's in your court. You can call me. I don't think you actually have my phone number, but I'm sure you can get it from somebody. So give me a call. Yeah, give him my number, Chris, when you're in the locker room or when you're doing the Zoom stuff and let him know that he needs to call me or I'm going to start liking tweets. We'll see how this goes. I'll report back after Chris gives him my phone number. But in all seriousness, yeah, I can't even believe that this is how this played out. But it is what it is at this point, I suppose. And the drama at Florham Park continues, not just with Le'Veon Bell, but with just about everybody else. So first, Adam Gase, and I talked about this with Manish earlier in the week, suggested that he might want to give up the play calling. Then he comes back a couple days later and says he talked it over with his staff, and they decided he's the best man for the job, which reeks of two things. The first is no one else wants to put their name on this, and the second is it reminds me of a conversation that I had with my dad recently. I joked about this on Twitter where I say, Dad... Who does the best Jets podcast out there? He says, you. I say, thanks for the vote of confidence, Dad. It's like, hey, remember that time when I hired all of you guys? I gave you jobs. You can feed your family based on those jobs. So what do you think? Am I the best man for the job? (laughs) That's what that felt like to me. Patton Oswalt, a.k.a. Dowell Loggins, coming out yesterday and saying that it's not about the play calling, it's execution. Once again, essentially saying it's the player's fault. Then Greg Williams comes out, and he's saying that it's not all the defense's fault that they're giving up 30-plus points a game. He's pressed to clarify what that means, and he says you're going to have to figure it out. And then, of course, As you alluded to before, Gase being asked about whether or not he regrets the way he used Le'Veon Bell or if he misused Le'Veon Bell, and Gase's comment was, doesn't matter, it's irrelevant at this point, which is of course ridiculous, of course it's relevant, because if he misused Bell and it caused Bell to want out, that should cause some introspection where Gase could sit down and go, did I mess this up? If so, what can I do to make sure this doesn't happen again? So all of these things are going on right now, Chris. My goodness, all of this drama, it's more entertaining than what we're seeing on the football field right now. Well, I mean, come on now. A- a- anything more entertaining than <laughs> what we're seeing on the football field. I mean, the groundhog that lives in my backyard is way more entertaining than what we're seeing on the football field. And that's that's cheating. That's not even fair. I, can't, I This groundhog is awesome. So, I was going to um, say, dude, that groundhog is the man. Yeah, no, he lived here for a long time. I sit there and I watch him run around. He's cool. It's awesome. And then, like, occasionally a fox will come around and try to eat it, and I have to run the fox off because, <laughs> no, you ain't going after my groundhog. Um, so it, that that's not even fair. But it, everything we're seeing on the football field is terrible. Uh, the the Gaze comment that it's irrelevant now is wild. Like – uh, like, okay, if you just mean it's irrelevant because he's gone and whatever, but no, he was a Hall of Fame talent when he got here, and you talked for a year and a half about all the different ways you could use him, and you hadn't been weren't able to find a way. And then when you, he did have his most efficient game, you cut him the, fo- the following week. Like, uh, how is it irrelevant that you as an offensive genius – Coaching to where football is going. Brilliant offensive mind. Can't figure out how to use Le'Veon Bell. And that's somehow irrelevant. Um, 
the the idea that they all huddled up and said, "Hey, Adam Gase's play calling is not the the problem." Again, I I beg you to look at that third and one with Trayvon Wesco running the ball. Uh, oh, we that that play gets just one yard every time. Well, it didn't this time. Why? And like the problem is not just with the play call. Go and watch the actual play. He gets the handoff. There's a giant hole on the right side that any running back would see and hit a cutback and scamper right into the end zone. But Trayvon Wesco is not a running back. He doesn't know anything about running lanes. So he just goes dead ahead and gets stuffed. And then they go on the next play and they get stuffed again because they got that one turnover in the Cardinals red zone and they come away with nothing from it. And you can point at whatever you want. I'm pointing at the play calling on that. Adam Gase's play calling is not good. And yes, there's a lot of execution problems. You can say this all the time, but at a certain point, he has to realize, I said this last week, Adam Gase's scheme is fine if he has all the right talent to run that scheme. He doesn't, but he keeps trying to run it anyway. That is where the problem is. You're, if you're asking players to do something that they can't execute over and over again, at a certain point, it's your fault for asking for that thing that you know that they can't do. So no matter how you slice it, this is on Gase. It's all on Gase. He's not changing anything up. The Greg Williams part of it is just hilarious. Everything about it is hilarious. <clears throat> the first hilarious part about it is was remember when we uh, when they first brought the decision to assign Greg Williams. I'm pretty sure me and you had a conversation on the air like this is going to end up in a fight between the two at some point. Um, so that that's hilarious. Also hilarious though. I'm sorry, Greg Williams. You gave up like an what was it an 89 yard run on the first play of the game against a decimated San Francisco team. You you might want to chill a little bit. You've given up 17 points before the half every day, every week so far. Your defense has been terrible all on its own. Uh, he's he's absolutely right to, that it's, that the offense has contributed to it and makes the defense harder. But separately, completely separately, your defense has been terrible on its own. So to try to hide behind – and it's Adam Gase's fault that the defense isn't doing good. Nah, it, he shares some blame, but you're doing a bad enough job in itself already. So you don't you don't need to go look for excuses there. Um, but this is again, this is so predictable when the two of them got uh, when he hired Greg Williams. Like, okay, this is going to end poorly. There's no way that it, it, it was ever going to end any other way but poorly. Uh, but again, back to just the fact that the one thing I tweeted this out is uh, the good good news, Jets fans, is typically when you got a head coach talking about give, just mentioning, bringing up the possibility of giving up play calling, that guy almost always gets fired within a couple weeks. That's that's typically how that goes. They either give him up and it doesn't it doesn't and nothing changes. Or they don't give them up, nothing changes, and they end up getting fired. So that's 
the one little bit of good news is usually that's like a kiss of death type of thing. You start talking about giving up play calling, you're almost always fired. Um, but the fact that they all that he was like, oh yeah, we huddled up together and we decided my play calling was not the problem. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they were giving you all the real, true, honest advice. And if if they weren't, then they just had to not don't know what they're talking about. Because how how can you possibly watch this offense? How can you possibly watch the first play of the game last week, a Joe Flacco bootleg, and then they go back second and ten? Ah, let's run it again. Every single week we see these charts tweeted out about how the Jets are run run more than anybody on second and ten, like. What are we doing here? This is a huge problem. How is it not a huge problem? How can anybody on earth not think the play calling is a huge problem? Play like a jet. Play like a jet. The coaching's bad. The roster's bad. The people making the decisions are bad. Recipe for disaster, if ever there was one, Chris. By the way, you mentioned Greg Williams and Adam Gase getting into a fight. It's funny because in the mailbag, Barush Jitlin asked about whether or not we think Greg Williams will go full Buddy Ryan at some point, and maybe he will based on the comments he was making during the week at the presser. Next order of business, though, Chris, is the actual game. There is a game coming up later today between the Jets and the Dolphins in Miami. A lot of guys are not playing again. Sam Darnold will not play. Makai Becton listed as doubtful, but it's my understanding he's not going to play. Denzel Mims, who practiced a little bit this week, is also not going to play. Where do we stand with those injuries and the rest of them? Yeah, Darnold's out. Becton's doubtful. He did some some individual stuff yesterday. Gay said that they were hoping to get him to do some uh, team drills. Gay said he was fired up about the possibility. Stop! Don't don't do this. You're gonna do this again. I like Jets fans. Hope and pray that Becton doesn't play this week. Hope and pray he doesn't pl- play because that gives you a better chance to lose. But just because he should not even be in consideration to play until he's a hundred percent and hey, get him to a hundred percent and give him an extra week or two just to be safe. One, one thing, you know, every time we see these uh, reports of like a possible COVID test, all these teams are talking about out of the abundance of caution. And I'm, I am so sick of that phrase. I need to never hear that phrase again. If it, an abundance of caution, we wouldn't be playing the season. Abundance of caution does not mean you shut down the facility for one day. But can you get an abundance of caution with Makai Becton? Can we take an extra week just to ensure that he is actually healthy before we play him again? Because he's the the best thing this team has going for it right now. You can't risk doing any long-term damage there. Um Everybody else is questionable for this game. Uh, Denzel Mims has not been activated off the the IR yet, so he's not going to play this week. But it looks like that it's just going to be Darnold and uh, Beckton as the other guys who aren't going to play. Prediction time, Chris. How do you think this is going to turn out? Me personally, I think Fitzpatrick continues to play well. Gasecki will have a big game. I think Devontae Parker will be very motivated to stick it to Adam Gase. And the Dolphins will probably win this one, something along the lines of 21-10. I did my preview on it uh, on this game yesterday. I switched up the preview a little bit just because 
you know, this season, this game. Um, I'm not, I'm not, and I'm really switching up the coverage, uh, the tone of the coverage all throughout the rest of the season. I'm not going to get bogged down and weeded down in the ins and outs, the X's and O's of football, because just everything is just terrible here. I'm just going to try to make a lot of jokes and have fun. And I spent the entire article comparing the Jets to a flaming bag of, of poop that uh, lands on your front porch. So go ahead and check that out. But I wrote that really there's one there's one X factor to this game or one key to this game, and it's all it's Ryan Fitzpatrick. Is Ryan Fitzpatrick going to be Ryan Fitzpatrick Ryan Fitzmagic, or is he going to be Ryan Fitztragic? Because the only way – that the Jets win this game is if Ryan Fitzpatrick goes out and has one of his five interceptions in the first half types of games, which we all know Fitzpatrick is capable of giving at any given moment. We know that game is coming. He has played great this season, but we know the cycle of Fitzpatrick. You guys all know that chart. You know that cycle. That game is coming. It's possible that game – like, there's no rhyme or reason to when that game comes. That game does often come when you least expect it to. So that's the Jet. The, the, the Jets have a chance of winning this game, and that is if Ryan Fitzpatrick turns into Fitztragic. But I am sticking with the Dolphins here, and I am saying that it's going to be something like 34 to 13. Um, again – Bet against the Jets. Uh, just make some money off this team because they Vegas hasn't uh, hasn't figured out how truly spectacularly awful this team is yet. And on that chipper note, let's jump into the mailbag. <laughs> Sean Stalker starts us off. He says, Scott and the very big deal, Chris Nimbley. The dumpster fire that is the usurper copyright. Peter J. Dillard is commonly compared to Rich Cotype by Jets fans, but is there a more recent coaching failure in the league that was this bad and this disliked by a fan base? Matt Patricia's one that comes to mind for me. Yeah, there's an obvious one, Hugh Jackson. People in yeah. Cleveland literally chased him into a lake. They made him jump into a lake, if you recall that. So yeah, Hugh Jackson is the guy that I would say this is comparable to. I believe that Hugh Jackson was actually worse than Gase. I know that's hard to believe, but I think Hugh Jackson might have actually been the worst coach in the history of the NFL. If not, it's co-tight. Those are probably your two choices, but that's it right there. Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackson's the answer, but there, is, there does need to be some added context here because Hugh Jackson was hired when they were deliberately trying to lose all those games. Uh, you know, the Hugh Jackson got fired. What was it like four or five games after they drafted Baker Mayfield? Gase got hired when they already had Darnold going into his second year, and he was supposed to take him to that next level. Hugh Jackson got fired. Like, hey, let's go ahead and take uh, get a bunch of losses, and so they stuck with him until they got the quarterback, then they fired him a couple uh, games into the season. So context is working against Hugh Jackson there. Um, Patricia is is a great one just because I just don't understand. Like, they fired Jim Caldwell because nine wins wasn't enough. And how long is Patricia going to get, especially with all the stuff around him right when he got the job? Um he should be gone, but it's the co-tight stuff is hard for me because I, I wasn't, you know, actively paying attention to ins and outs. I don't know how to compare them. I, I wasn't 
paying close enough attention. I have no idea. I was alive for when it happened, but I wasn't anywhere near as in it as I am now. Uh, and But it's just really hard for me to say that anybody in the history has been worse than Adam Gase. Maybe you can tell me that they've been equally bad. I'm good with it. But I feel like this is the floor, man. I don't see how you could be worse than what – like, let's put it this way. If we could go back in time to the day that Gase was hired, could I envision it being any worse than it is now? And the answer is no. I can't envision it being – I mean, maybe if a player actually physically assaulted Gase, that would be worse. That That's about it. I don't – otherwise, I don't see how it could have gotten any worse from here. Kotite was worse. In fact, I'd say he was significantly worse for a variety of reasons. The easiest way that I can make this case without really going into detail is that Rich Kotite had a playoff caliber roster in 1996 that he coached to one win. Adam Gase had seven wins just last year. Kotite had four and two seasons with superior personnel. So as bad as Gase is, believe it or not, Kotite was worse. I could go chapter and verse on this, but the fact is, even having to have this debate shows you how bad things are right now because Rich Kotite, as I said, might be the worst coach in NFL history. So if we're even in a spot where you could make a credible case for Gase right now, that's not good. <laughs> so that's really all I'll say about that because, quite frankly, maybe we'll go more in depth on this at some point in the offseason, but it's just too depressing to dive into right now beyond what we just said. We got a lot of questions about Joe Douglas, Chris, and what his actual power is. So I'm going to combine a couple of these. I'll throw a few out and then we'll just sort of unpack it all. Green and White for Life says... JD seems to be Adam Gase's secretary, his yes man, his enabler. I want to have hope and be confident that Gase will be gone, but all evidence points to Joe Douglas being in complete support of Gase. Is this only Douglas doing his duty as GM while Gase is here, or is this a sign that Gase might actually be back next year? Say my name, it says, I believe in Douglas, still trust his plan in the process. Am I naive, or should I have doubts? Then King Lampert says... With the statement that the Jets made on Bell having been signed by Douglas, is that a statement that was actually his choice, or is he somehow actually Gase's puppet, and it was Gase's choice to dump Bell, and he has Douglas wrapped around his finger? Danny, who has in parentheses, God help me, I'm a Jets fan. <laughs> I think that speaks for a lot of us. Asks if we've lost faith in Joe Douglas after what has transpired, if his reputation is tarnished around the league. Danny says Joe Douglas looks powerless to him, maybe even spineless. Prepare for disappointment asks if Joe Douglas is so good, then why are so many of his decisions bad? So you get the general idea. People are wondering if Douglas is really the one making decisions. They're wondering if Gase is the one pulling the strings. They're wondering if because Douglas has made some questionable decisions, that means we should all be losing faith in him. Chris, I know you have a lot to say about this, so I'm going to let you take this one. So... And start here. Gase and and uh, Joe Douglas both separately report to Christopher Johnson. So you have to keep that in mind. This again, this is the Jets' power structure. This is how they've always set it up under the Johnsons, and it's never made sense. The GM is not the boss of the coach. They both report separately to their boss, which is the owner. 
So, yeah, Joe Douglas doesn't – no GM has the power to fire the coach um, with the Jets. That's not how it works. That they, they have to go report to the owner separately. It's a big problem. It's been a big problem. It's brought up to the Johnsons constantly. I know Woody's been asked about it. Christopher Johnson's been asked about it multiple times. But this is the way they have it set up. So I keep hearing or seeing people talk about, um, you know, Joe Douglas being Gase's guy and being a lackey of Gase and this. No, it's just this is the way that it's set up. Uh, and it's that creates all types of uh, problems and that creates a mess that it leaves us right where we are right now. Um, it's it's in, insane setup. It doesn't make any sense. And you got to hope that after Adam Gase gets fired, that they try to do something differently next time that they hire a coach, work with Joe Douglas do it, and then they can report uh, that coach can report to Douglas who reports to the owner. Um, but that's not how it's set up right now. The, the Johnsons need to make the decision themselves. Um, I'm, I've been planning cause I, I have noticed that, uh, you know, obviously we know Manish is, has switched and he is dialed up to start attacking uh, Joe Douglas. I've seen that kind of percolate into Jets Twitter and Jets Twitter starting to pick apart Joe Douglas here. Next, I'm going to give you a little bit of preview of what I'm going to uh, have out next week because I'm planning on writing a big article about Joe Douglas and uh, where you should stand on him right now. You got to remember he was hired – after, right after they fired McCagnan after that drafted. So that first offseason, the only thing that he did was the Ryan Khalil thing, which didn't work. As you probably remember, I didn't think would work when they signed him. But he threw a dart at the dartboard and, that tra- and tried to take a shot, and it didn't work. I'm not going to blame him on that. He looked and saw uh, Jonathan Terrace is probably not going to be good enough. Let's see if we can do something. Let's take a shot at Ryan Khalil. Ryan Khalil didn't work out. I'm not holding that against him. Um, Robbie Anderson, absolutely. Of course, I'm holding that against him. I said it before it happened. I said it during the season last year. They end up uh, getting rid of him. I'm going to crush him for it, and I'm going to continue crushing him for it because it was so obviously a bad decision. It was a bad decision, obviously, well before they made it. It was a terrible decision when they made it, and now that we're watching Robbie Anderson – as a number one receiver, which plenty of Jet fans told me Robbie Anderson could never be, I'm going to continue killing him for it. It was an awful decision. The, the acting like signing Brashad Perriman was any type of uh, a substitute for Robbie Anderson was absurd. It was always absurd. And like Robbie Anderson, I knew Robbie Anderson could do this. I talked about it constantly. Uh, that Robbie Anderson could do more. He could do more than the go routes. He can run underneath. He can do all this stuff. But Adam Gase stubbornly refused to use him like that. And then Gase, uh, Douglas said, yeah, I'm not bringing him back. Because from my understanding there, that is a large part of what happened there is uh, what is same with Connor Rogers. I heard that they just did not give him anything close to a serious offer. And I don't understand it at all. The only explanation I can think of is Gates didn't want him, but I don't care. Uh, Joe Douglas should have said, I don't care whether you do or not. This guy's good enough. 
at, at he's not going to cost us too much money. We should, uh, we should bring him back because I'm going to fire your ass next year. Anyway, that's exactly how that should have played out in his head, but it's the exact opposite of how it did play out. So I'm going to criticize him for that. Um, I, criticizing him that I, I see a lot of, uh, Oh, well, he didn't address this position. He didn't address that position. And I've been talking about this, man. The The Jets needed almost every position going into uh, this offseason. Like, what position were they set at? Uh, you know, before they traded Jamal, they were set at safety. Uh, you know, they were, they were good on the defensive line, but, of course, they could use an, uh, an edge rusher. Every other position they needed stuff at. It was an it's an impossible task to expect Joe Douglas to be able to fill every one of those holes, and that would be an impossible task to for him to do, even if he had all the available cap room and all the available money in the world to spend. You can't fix an entire team in one off season. So to sit there and be like, oh, he didn't address edge rusher. Where was he getting the edge rusher from? I mean, he got he did draft one who hasn't been able to play yet. Um, but yeah, he could have signed signed Clowney on a one year deal. That's not fixing the problem long term, and that's not making a big enough difference for this team to be a playoff team. Uh, he and then he had the cash restrictions. How much of that? I'm I'm not sure again, but I know that he was handcuffed at least a bit by that and he so he went the band-aid route on a lot of stuff now as you mentioned i we both we laughed at the george fant signing at, that's looking pretty good right now he also uh managed to find john franklin myers bring him in so that that's a win becton is a win um you know there there's a a lot of buzz they really like this bryce huff kid um, he's done some things uh, well, uh, the, uh, namely the Becton and the Fant thing. Um, but it's just it's it's so impossible to really judge him based on off this season, off season because again the cap situation, the the money being hamstrung, but there was just too many holes that needed to be filled, and then on top of that, you. You can't spend recklessly, or you have to spend kind of a little bit controlled here, try to do a bunch of shorter deals. <clears throat> That's going to make it a lot harder. Now, the thing is, it's a weird situation I am in with the Joe Douglas talk because, number one, I'm I'm glad that the shine has kind of come off because it's it's very frustrating as a reporter to deal with that, uh, that honeymoon period. Um, you know, it happens with a new quarterback. It happens with a new coach. But it doesn't – nobody gets the treatment that a new GM treatment gets. The new GM comes in, and that fan base just naively assumes that the new GM is going to fix everything, and this guy can do no wrong no matter what. That first, like, six-month period, they fall so madly in love with the GM, and it doesn't matter. And they're just like, oh, and this GM we trust no matter what. So I'm glad that the shines come off there a little bit just so we can, uh, you know, actually evaluate and make some criticisms. I do think it swung a little bit too far, though, just because, again, he had too much. Like, Mike McCagnan did such a terrible job. 
the cupboard was just completely bare and it was going to be really, it was going to be impossible to fill it all in one season and especially with cash restrictions. So I will say that like, you're definitely, uh, to have, to, to have blind faith in Joe Douglas would be naive. Uh, but to really be slamming him and criticizing, and like he can't do this job would also be a little bit naive in the other direction. He, GMs, you can't judge a GM in a year and a half. You can't judge a GM in two years. You need to judge the GM in three to four years. And uh, it's just the way it is. Uh, he's going to have to hit a couple drafts out the park. He's going to have to make some clutch free agent signings. But right now, He's got some misses and he got some hits. And you have to realize that he was literally stuck behind the eight ball and he had to take some crazy angled shot that had to bounce off four walls before it hit the ball that he was allowed to hit first. But he hit on George Fan. Uh, he hit on Makai Becton. And then he's taken a couple other shots where, you know, he didn't quite hit the ball right. And he hit the seven ball instead of the four ball. Like, but the it was an impossible shot, so he had to try something. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Um, I'm going to dig a lot more into this. Like I said, I'm going to lay out my case uh, for you guys. And, uh, you know, sometimes I'm just kind of babbling right now, so it'll make more sense when you can read it and it's all laid out in front of you right now. But basically right now is Joe Douglas is get still – his grade is incomplete. And that's it. Like he's done some good things. He's done some bad things. All GMs get some bad things. There's not a single GM in the history of the, of sports that has done everything right. And there's not a single GM in the history of sports that's done everything wrong. Everybody has some hits and some misses. It's, it's kind of like gambling. If, if you're going to be a professional gambler, like it's something like, I think like the, the best professional gamblers hit on like, 58 to like 62 percent of their bets at most so gms are gonna have a lot of misses the good gms just hit at like a 60 percent clip so that still means that they're gonna be 40 percent that they're gonna miss on uh maybe a better example uh analogy would be like being a baseball player great baseball players still get out 70 percent of the time you know 65 percent of the time GMs are going to miss no matter what, no matter how great the GM they're going to miss is right now. The grade is incomplete. He's done some good. He's done some bad. He's been kind of handcuffed. Um, so don't just have blind faith. <clears throat> Look at everything through a critical lens, but you, you can't just sit here and bury him and just being, Oh my God, he, he's been here for a year and a half and he hasn't gotten an edge rusher. Well, there hasn't been a lot of great edge rush opportunities for him there and he's had a bunch of other positions he's needed to look after as well so you can't just hold that against him uh it's very much just at an incomplete continue looking at everything with a critical lens of him that's how you should be doing it but you you have to cut him a little bit of slack at the same time and give him enough time to see his vision through Thanks, Chris. And now, before we run, let's check in with our buddy Walter Cherapinski of WalterFootball.com. He's got your weekly NFL gambling picks to try and help you make a few bucks this Sunday. 
Walter, let's try and put a few bucks in some people's pockets this Sunday. Welcome to the show, my man. Thanks, Scott. So once again, going to fade the Jets. No surprise there. Adam Gase is the gift that keeps on giving. He hasn't covered the spread at all this year. So, you know, you can make lots of money fading the Jets every week. And that's what we've done. Uh, talked about last week how I thought the Dolphins were very underrated. Uh, their three losses have been to the Bills, the Seahawks, and the Patriots. Three excellent teams. And all three of those games are close. The other two games they played, they blew out the 49ers and they blew out the Jaguars. Uh, both games on the road, by the way. So I think they should handle business against the Jets at home, uh, especially given that the Jets won't have Mekhi Becton and Le'Veon Bell is gone as well. So uh, the Dolphins should cover the spread. Uh, I'm going to fade the other New York team. I like the Redskins plus three. Uh, the Redskins are getting Brandon Sheriff back from injury, which is huge because they couldn't really block that well uh, last week, to say the least, uh, for Alex Smith. So uh, with Kyle Allen playing for the Redskins on their center and Sheriff blocking for him, uh, that should that should bode well for them against the Giants. And the Giants have a bad offensive line as well, and I like the Redskins' defensive front against uh, the Giants' blockers. Uh, I like the Jaguars a lot at plus three, or if you, if you can get plus three and a half, you might be able to get that somewhere, but um, yeah, the Jaguars, the past couple of weeks, they, they've really struggled after a start you know, where they kind of surprise people by keeping games close, or and even even upsetting the Colts in week one. Uh, starting, in, starting in the second half of the week four game against the Bengals, they lost Miles Jack and C.J. Henderson and a couple of other players, but those those two players were so key for them. They're, they're two of the better defenders. Uh, they're getting both players back this week, which is huge. Uh, they might not have DJ Chark, uh, which is kind of a bummer, but I still like the Jaguars because the lines are going to be down two of their top three corners. So uh, the Jaguars still have solid receivers, even without Chark. So I think they should be able to move the ball. Uh, so and, and with their defense approved, I think they can stop the lines enough to cover the spread. I like the Browns plus three and a half over the Steelers. Uh, the Steelers are, not, are, are going to be without uh, David DeCastro, uh, their Pro Bowl guard. Uh, so that that means they're going to be down two offensive linemen against a Cleveland pass rush that's excellent. They rattled Phillip Rivers last week. I think they're going to have uh, success against another 2004 NFL draft quarterback. And I think the Browns, uh, they could pull the upset here. Um, I, re I really do. I think they could beat the Steelers. I like the Ravens minus 7.5 over the Eagles. Actually, the line's moved up to 9.5. I still like the Ravens. The Eagles are down four starting offensive linemen as well as their top backup guard. Uh, so I have no idea how they're going to block the Ravens. The Eagles are also also missing a starting cornerback, a starting linebacker, and their two top receivers. Uh, they're just so banged up, uh, and they have to focus on playing on Thursday. Uh, it just seems like the Ravens should be able to walk into Philadelphia and win this game easily. Uh, finally, on Sunday night, I like the Rams minus three over the 49ers. Uh, 49ers are down three of their top four cornerbacks, so it's going to be an issue stopping the, the Rams receivers. So uh, the 49ers struggle should continue I expect them to rebound in the second half of the year once they get Richard Sherman and some other players back from injury. Uh, but for now, I think we can uh, capitalize by fading the Niners and picking the Rams minus three on Sunday night. So those are the WalterFootball.com week six gambling picks. Uh, back to you, Scott. Thanks, Walter. And thank you for listening. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't take you much time. doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.